Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Lord, I thank you this morning. I thank you this morning for your presence. Lord, we can go from praise and worship to these quiet times of just coming around your word. And both are so important. And I just pray today, Lord, that you will speak through me to your people. And God, I just pray today that we'll leave here so much more encouraged, lifted, strengthened in the faith. Do what your spirit wants to do today. In our hearts, we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you've been with us over the last few weeks, you will know that I've been doing a series um, on uh, the book of Philippians, the greater series, which I hope you've been enjoying as we've been looking at the book of Philippians, a great book. And I've been looking at the fact that Paul, Apostle Paul, just to give you a recap, writes this book to the uh, church in Philippi from prison, and so he, he gives this encouragement to a church he's planted. In Acts chapter 16, we read about the church he's planted there, and he writes this, this, this bo- uh, book to those, this letter, uh, to encourage them to keep pressing on towards the goal, that's in Philippians chapter 3, and to keep pushing on even though there's trouble. And this comes from Paul who is currently in prison. In week one, we looked at the fact that in life, we've got to, when trouble comes our way, when challenges come, we have to have a greater vision. I was talking on the fact that that Paul, in his circumstances, was able to see beyond the prison. In other words, he, he was able to write and encourage to brothers and sisters, even in his situation. And I, I want to encourage you that when, when, you, when you have partners in the faith, when you're strengthened by the church, whatever you're going through, there's always something to rejoice about. Amen? So, so what he was doing effectively saying, I'm in my predicament, I'm in my prison, but I'm so encouraged because the kingdom of God cannot be imprisoned. In other words, the kingdom of God is so big, it's so wide, it's so massive, that actually you can't imprison me. I'm going to encourage the church that was planted, and we know that the church was planted and he was in prison before he planted that church in Philippi. So he's been in a lot of prisons, and he writes this to encourage them that actually the kingdom of God is far bigger than the prison you're in. So I want to encourage you today, whatever you're going through in life, Just look at the things that God's done that's good. And look at the fact that actually around you in this room, there are people rejoicing of the good things. Amen? Many times we look at the the bad things. We need a greater vision. Week two, uh, last week we looked at greater thinking. We looked at the fact that, that Paul encourages them not just to kind of have a different perspective in their vision, in, their, in the way they look at things, but actually that we need to change the way we think. So we've got to think differently, not just see things differently, but our mind, our thought processes need to come in line with Christ. We need to have, he says, the same mindset 
as Christ, Jesus. Then he, he, he goes into the whole thing of, of what Jesus did, submitting himself and giving his life. And we see that the characteristics of Jesus, we've got to live up to that. He also says not just to be the same mindset as Christ, but the same mind as himself. He's saying, be like-minded. In other words, think like I'm thinking. You've got to think like I'm thinking. So I want to encourage you today. You've got to start this year, 2018, saying, do you know what? I'm going to have a different perspective. I ain't going to look at the confines of my prison. I'm not going to look at the problems I've got, but I'm going to look beyond that because the kingdom of God's bigger. And then secondly, I'm going to start to think differently. I'm not going to allow the enemy to, to get me thinking in these wrong ways. We looked at um, the book of Colossians 3 verse 2. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. So you've got to have a different perspective in thinking. Amen? This week I want to look, I'm skipping uh, Philippians 3 because I preached on Philippians 3 not long back and uh, you can catch up on that. Um, I think it was called Forward Thinkers if you were around. So we looked at that uh, particular chapter. This week I want to jump to Philippians chapter 4 as we finish on the last chapter and we're going to look at verse 1 uh, if you read this together with me. Looking at the NIV version and it says this, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Verse 2, I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I, I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. There we've got it again, that thinking in the mind. Verse 9, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this, he says in verse 11, because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content Whatever the circumstances, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in pl plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Amen. Amen. The title of the message today, this final week of this uh, series, is The Secret of Your Success. The Secret 
of your success. You know, when you talk about success to Christians and you talk about being successful, and it sounds a little bit like the kind of paperback book you get in Waterstones that we, we, we Christians don't like to look at success because we're supposed to be someone who's dying to self and we're supposed to be just worshiping Jesus. Jesus is the one who's successful. But do you know something? Jesus wants you to be successful. Did you know that? When he talks about being fruitful, that's about being successful. If you're in the business world, you'd find that the business terminology is to be fruitful, would be successful. You would be growing something. In fact, the church of Jesus Christ, if if you're in your life groups recently, we looked at Acts chapter 2, and we looked at the fact of the church being devoted together, and all the characteristics of uh, of the early church in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2, show us that when you do these things, when when you're part of the church, part of that team together, the last part of that, that, that section in Acts chapter 2, those devoted chapters, talks about the fact that the church grows in number daily, it says. Not, not monthly or yearly. Daily, they're counting the numbers. That's why as a church, we need to really this year believe for more salvations. Like we're hearing in Alpha, we've got to believe for Alpha to be producing fruit, to be growing, to be seeing more success. There is nothing wrong with success on a corporate level in the church. There's nothing wrong with success in your personal life. I'm telling you, I want you to be successful in 2018. You've got to say to yourself, stop. The enemy's trying to tell you, well, I, I can't be successful. I've just, got to, I've just got to die to self and I've got to just be like this. Listen, you have to do these things, but you can be successful. The secret of your success. The other day I got a phone call from, from someone, one of these random phone calls. And they were, has, has anyone heard about Bitcoin? Yeah, Bitcoin. Ma- Maxwell's at the back there waving. I think he must have got, he must have got a lot of Bitcoins. Are you a, you're successful. Someone phoned me up and they said this. They said, I want to chat to you for a moment. Have you got a minute? And I said, I've got, I think I have. And you get talked into this. And the next minute I'm on the phone to this, this random person who says this to me. Do you want to be part of the Bitcoin? Well, I've seen these adverts coming up and all of these things you can invest into. And thinking, why is everyone going on about this? I mean, everyone's talking about how rich you can be in such a short space of time. It's a bit of a temptation when you hear that, isn't it? Thinking, you know, imagine what I could have. He says, just give me a few minutes. I want to explain what this Bitcoin is. I thought, I want you to explain. So I listened and he said this to me. The very first line he said, I want to tell you this is guaranteed success. I thought, wow, you don't get much of that these days. And so I listened to him and I thought, I, I want to know what this is. He says, we will even put money into your account. We'll do all the work for you. You don't have to do anything. You just got to sit there and just receive the money. I thought, you know, I, I'm excited for Jesus returning, but this was an exciting moment in my life. You know, at that moment when he said that he, he, and he starts reeling the figures off, I'm thinking, wow, all the holidays I could go on. And I, what? You said I don't have to do a thing. No, you don't have to do, you don't have to have any financial knowledge whatsoever. Thought even better. Guaranteed success. And if you're a northerner like me, you ask the right questions. I said, hang on. Hang on a sec. I just, and I kept trying to butt in, but he wouldn't let me speak. I said, I've got to ask one question. What's the catch? Do you need any money from me first? You said you'd give me something. 
You're going to give me? He said, 250 pounds we'll give you. I thought, wow. In bitcoins. I don't know what that means, but I, I question whether he really bought the bitcoins. He said, 250 pounds. We will give you. That's all you need to do. And I listened to this. I think this sounds too good to be true. And I said, what's the catch? I said, can I just ask one question? Do you need my credit card details? He said, yes. I thought the moment he said that line, I thought, that's it. You need my money. That's what you need. You need insurance to get your 250 pounds back. I put the phone down. I says, I don't want any of this. And I put the phone down. Listen to me. There is nothing in life today that's going to give you guaranteed success for doing nothing. Did you know that? You cannot get 100% success rate for doing absolutely nothing. There's always a catch. But I want to talk to you today because I really believe that Jesus wants us to catch with the word of God because there is success that can be learned in our Christian lives that Paul teaches about in the book of Philippians so you can learn how to be successful. Can I just say something? That the way to be successful sometimes is not about doing new things. It's learning on past failures. A lot of us, we, we, we get into a New Year's resolution, and the first thing we do is think, what am I going to do new this year to try and be more successful? So what am I going to apply to my life to make myself better or do things better? And by the way, there's nothing wrong with strategy, nothing wrong with doing new stuff to make things better in your life. But can I just say to you something, that in the Word of God, there are people who've gone before us who you can learn from and you can learn from their failures. You can learn from what didn't work and what did work. If you remember week one, I talked about the story of me getting excited when I went to the Science Museum. And in 1969, I saw this, this, this uh, display from 1969 that showed the, the trip to the moon with uh, Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong when they went to the moon. And I talked about this, this amazing success that they managed to land on the moon and walk on the moon. And, and I talked about the fact that I love this fact that together as partnership, they did this great achievement. And after that, what happened is people were, were traveling. They were doing these, these, these different projects to go to space. And years on, I then looked the other day at another incident that happened. And that was in 2003. In January 2003, they launched the, the shuttle Columbia to go up to space on a 16-day mission. It would return on February 2003. This shuttle would return back to Earth. And in that shuttle were seven uh, astronauts. Six of them Americans, one Israeli astronaut, were coming back to Earth after 16 days mission to the, to the International Space Station. These were looking at the ones gone before. They, they'd seen people had gone to the moon. Now they're coming back all excited. But the thing is, the day they left, 16 days prior, something happened that they were not fully aware of. When they left in the shuttle, and the shuttle sets off, the rockets, something fell off and hit the wing of the shuttle Columbia, which caused damage to the wing. And when they went on their trip, all the way through the trip, the people down below on earth knew that they would never return. Because they knew that the wing was damaged, they decided not to tell them. So they returned back, they thought it would be better not to tell them and let them just die. 
So when they hit the atmosphere and they come back in in February 2003 and they, they, they come back into the earth's atmosphere, you'll see if you look at it on the news, the whole thing explodes and all of them die. Two years after that, wasn't till the next space expedition. Can I just say something today? Some of you in this room have had things happen in your life, trauma, things that have happened like an incident, not like that, but different things that have caused you to quit or you thinking about quitting. But what they did is they learned from their mistakes. You can either quit or learn and move on. Paul helps us in Philippians 4 to see that the trouble he went through, if you look at Paul's life, he went through lots of trauma. But what we learn from is, how did he cope with trauma to learn and move on? Can I just say, for you to have great success, you've got to learn from past failures. You see, the next time that that shuttle went up and they did the next expedition, they changed the wing to allow it not to cause that problem again. You can either quit or learn and move on. Amen? Philippians 4 verse 9, Paul says this, Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. Whatever you've learned, Whatever you've seen in my life, I've been in some prisons, I've been in shipwrecks, I've had some trauma, I've had some disasters, things ain't gone right for me. Whatever you've seen in me, learn from it because you're going to come up with the same issues yourself. You can either quit at trauma or you can move on. He says, and the God of peace will be with you. So in other words, he says this, if you learn from what I've done and you put it into practice, you don't quit, but you learn from mistakes, the God of peace will be with you. Wow. I want to tell you today that I want to learn from Paul. I don't want to look and say, I want to, I want to have my own mistakes. Yet I'm going to get mistakes, but I want to look back and say, do you know what? I'm going to learn from those who've gone before us, the heroes of the faith. I want to look at a few points today just to encourage you of what I believe Paul finishes Philippians 4 with to encourage us as a church, as believers, of how we need to move forward. The first thing is this the secret to success is rediscovering the power of unity, the power of being unified. As a church. Now I talked about the other week about partnership. You can have partnership but no unity. Did you know that? We can come together. You could sign a a partnership form. Be a member of this church. It's very easy to to sign a a membership form. You can sign as many membership forms as you want. But you can be in disunity. Partnership forms in our files do not show unity. Partnership files to say that you're a member of the church, to say that you join us at the Christmas meal and we're all together as partners, does not mean unity. Did you know that? The devil wants you to think that it is just about coming together and we just sit here on a chair and that's unity. Unity is far deeper than partnership. Paul says this, it's amazing this, because you can skip over this stuff and think, oh, I, I understand a bit of unity, we all need to be together. Listen to me, it's so clear to Paul that he finishes this letter to tell everyone about unity. He says this in verse two, I plead, I plead 
with Euodia and Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Those two people, I mean, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but do you really know if I am? See? Just, just go with it. But Euodia and Syntyche, say it fast and no one recognizes. <laughs> These two women, by the way, this shows us that women worked in the church. I believe in women working in the church. I believe in women in ministry. Amen? There's nothing wrong with women working in ministry. These two people, he says this, he says, I plead, I need you. I plead with you two. But he's saying this, he says, I plead with you because there is disunity between them. So in other words, he's saying, I'm pleading with you because I really love you. I really appreciate everything you bring to the table. But the problem is, you both have the same mind with me, but not together. So the other week, we looked at having the same mind as Paul, sharing that mind. We have the same mind with Christ. But do you know, you can have the, the same mindset as Christ. You can have the same mindset towards a leader in a church, but have a different mind against your brother or sister in the room. He says this, he says, hang on a sec, before we move on, you've got to learn something. You order your insintiki, have the same mind. You can't be in disunity. You've got to be together. Then he says, verse 3, he calls out and he says, help these women. It's not just the women who argue and in disunity, the men are just as bad. Help these women, he says. And then look at this, since they've contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. Wow. In other words, what he says is this. You have been amazing. You've been contending. You have been an amazing partner in the gospel. We've been going for it. We've been seeing amazing things. You Euodia, you've been amazing. Syntyche, you've been amazing. But both of you need to talk to each other. You need to be friends. Do you know you can contend for the gospel at the same time as contending against someone else? You can contend for the purpose, the reason for what you're doing and serving Jesus. You can be giving everything for Jesus, but at the same time, you're fighting with your brother and sister. And by the way, it sounds like you can be quite fruitful sometimes. By Jesus' grace for you, he'll let you do things and you think, oh, well, it's okay for me to have this grudge against someone because look at the fruit. I'm being successful. Can I just say something? You can be because that's God's grace. But I'm going to tell you, there is another level of success. There is another level of success that when you start to be friends with each other and you don't let disunity come, Jesus wants to tell us this morning that there is a level of growth and success in this church that we can see that comes from unity, not just partnership. It comes from when we start getting rid of the problems between us. Can I just say something? If you've got a grudge with someone here today, the Bible tells us, I think it's in Matthew chapter 5, it says sort your grudge out before you bring your gift. What's your gift? I'm not talking about bringing your, your gift, your money, and sowing in and giving your treasure. I'm talking about when you come and you worship Jesus and you're lifting your hands. 
You are good. You're good. Oh. And all the time, you're singing you are good. But in your mind, you've got a problem with your brother and sister. In fact, in the cafe downstairs, you didn't even talk to them on the way up. Because you've got a grudge. But you are good. You're good. And all the time, you're thinking, I can't believe the way she looked at me. Forget buying her a latte next week. I bought her a latte and look at the way she looked at me. You are good. You're good. You can contend for the gospel and contend against your friends. Or not your friends, should I say. 1 Corinthians 1.10, Paul says this. He, he seems to be talking about it a lot. He says, I appeal to you. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. Wow. I'm not being funny, but we can't always agree on everything, can we? I mean, the other night we had a Bible study and there was a bit of disagreement in the room, but it was healthy disagreement. I love a bit of disagreement. Why? Because it brings, to the, it brings things to the surface. If we all agree with each other in the way that we think that... It, this is not what he's talking about. He's agreeing in the way of love and agreeing in the way of having the mind of Christ. But let me tell you, sometimes theology and different things, we're going to have slightly different views. God is not looking at us to all just be robots here and start just saying, I'm going to, I'm going to think the way you think even though I don't feel like that. Okay? It's good sometimes to have healthy discussion. The other night we had a very healthy discussion in this room, bringing some stuff to the surface, and it was brilliant. And that is good. That's healthy. But you can have discontent with each other on another level. I want to encourage you today. It's time, it's a season to stop having problems with your brothers and sisters. If you want success, don't go on the success you're living on now. Go on the success that he wants to teach you. There's another level to go to. The problem is this, that secret disunity is like yeast that gets into the whole batch of dough. Because the problem is, do you, do you, know, do you know what? People, what they do is they live in church, but they have secret disunity. You know, they can sing the songs. They can be in the cafe and, hi, how are you doing? Really deep down there. They're not happy. You can have all these things going on inside. and I, I call that secret disunity. Secret disunity is a killer. The devil loves it. The devil absolutely loves disunity. Do you know why? Because the way the devil works is breaking things up. John 10.10 10 says that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Okay? So when the thief comes, can I just explain this, you know, Em, come up, stand next to me. Give a big round of applause for Emma. My amazing wife, she's got no idea I was going to do this and I didn't even plan to do this. But I want to, in 2004, I think it was that we got married, September 2004, 25th of September, come on, I'm doing well. There's no disunity between us. September 25th, 2004, we got married. It was an amazing day, and we're still smiling, aren't we? We're, still smiling. we're going for it. But listen, 
When you get married, any young people in here, if you get married and you get married, it's an amazing day, that first, you get married, that honeymoon period, that, those first, oh, well, I think it was, wasn't it? Was it good? <laughs> but when you're together, you're close. But listen to me. The enemy does not come in straight away and start trying to break you up. It starts slowly. Because if he can cause division and discontent, eventually he will break you away. When you're detached from each other, when you're broken away from each other, then disunity is in its full fruit. And what the enemy wants to do in our church is just like, because remember, we are the bride of Christ. He wants to break up our relationships because when we break up our relationships, we're not connected to Christ. He detaches us and there's a void between each of us. We think we're in partnership, but actually we're not. You can sit down. I'll use someone else in the second service. Can I just say, he wants to rip apart and break our relationships I put here that secret disunity with the few has the power to cause widespread division with the many. When you have secret disunity with a few people that you know about right now, I, in your mind there'll be people right now you know you've got a problem with in this church. I've had them as well, don't worry. We all get them. But listen, when you have a promise on you, you've got to sort it out. Deal with it. Deal with the issue So that the devil can't have a way to break you apart. Because he wants to break this church. He wants to divide us so we can't grow. And while ever we can't grow, we have no influence in the world. But I want to see this church, not just two services. I want to see three services. No, I'm only joking, Nick. You don't have to worship twice, three times. We'll get get more worship leaders. Come on. We need more people. We need more leaders. We need more people to grow and grow and grow to have influence in this city. Come on. But secret disunity. You got a problem. Listen to me. Paul's saying, learn from the mistakes. I love the fact that you both like to work for me. We've all been contending. We all look like we're doing this thing together. But actually there's a problem. You two need to sort your issues out. Because you're contending with each other. And we're also contending for the gospel. I want to encourage you today. Rediscover. The secret to success is to rediscover the power of unity. Look in areas of your life where there's disunity. Mark 3.25 says, if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. You see, when I read this, Paul doesn't give the advice that I want him to give me. You see, I want Paul to say this. You've got to build bigger buildings. You've got to build bigger things. You've got to have more strategy and plans in place. That's how you grow the church. Build a bigger building. Can I give you some news today? Satan is not scared by bigger buildings. Satan is not scared by multi-million pound buildings. He's not scared by Costa Coffee type lounges in our churches that look like the world and we're trying to reach people. He isn't scared by that. 
I'll tell you what scares Satan. It's when you build relationships. If you build buildings, it does not scare him. Build relationships. You can have the greatest building and have people broken inside it. You can have the hugest monument building you want for for King Jesus. But if you've got discontent in the room, it's not worth anything. I've got some some bricks outside. I, I bought some bricks years ago to repair our garage roof. We've got a garage roof that's falling apart. And, and, and there's water leaking through it. In fact, every single day, I have to go in there. There's a bucket in the same place, and I empty the bucket every day. People next door must wonder what I am doing. I go into the garage. I get the bucket, and I'm emptying buckets. They're thinking, what? where's he getting the water from? Has he got a tap in there? No, it's just the roof, filling up my bucket every day. Same spot, because, you know, I've not fixed the roof. And so I've got this problem with this garage roof. And then on the front, all the bricks started crumbling off a number of years ago. And so do you know what I did? I went down to the builder's merchants. I'm not a builder, but I bought some bricks. And I put them in the garden at the, at the side. You can see them through my lounge. These bricks piled up. They have been there nearly 10 years. <laughs> Honestly, haven't they? We use them to prop things up. These bricks, they're great. We use them for all different kinds of things. All manner of things except repairing the garage. I went, I thought it was such a, a builder when I walked in there. You know when you go in and there are all the builders and I'm trying to act cool and strong and yeah, I'll have some bricks. And I, he thought I was going to ask for a pallet. I asked for about 15. 15 bricks, please. <laughs> Biggest order of the day. And so I went in, I got these bricks and they've been sat outside and I look at them. Do you know what? One day we went away and me and Emma went away and, and we came back and Emma's dad was looking after the kids and her mum. We came back. Her dad got so tired of seeing these bricks, he picked the bricks up and started building something with them. He, built, he repaired the garage. I came back and I realized he took the bricks and used them. He said, I saw them and I just did it. I realized something that actually those bricks were taking up the same space and occupying the same space in life, whether they're on the roof of the garage or they're on the floor. The problem is that when they were on the floor, they didn't mean anything. They were loose bricks sat there doing nothing and had no purpose whatsoever other than cluttering my garden. But when he got the bricks and he applied the mortar and he put them on the top of our garage roof to to rebuild what was broken and he put these things together, when he applied the mortar and put things together, it created something and utilized what I had. And let me tell you, the church in disunity is like loose bricks in a garden. They occupy the same space, but they have no purpose. They've got no purpose until you apply the mortar, and the mortar is the unity. It's the bond of peace, the Bible says. It's the bond that brings things together. It formulates something. And I want to tell you some news today, church. Jesus wants us to put the bond of peace back into what we're building so that what we build has purpose. It has a focus. It has a vision. It has a future, and it's not just loose bricks in the garden. Do you hear me this morning? Unity is the key. First Peter 2.5, he says this, you are like living stones being built up into a spiritual house. Wow. Do you know in 2011, we were looking at building in this church, uh, putting this floor in that you're sat on. We mentioned it many times, but you won't know this, some of you, that before this floor went in, 
me and some of the leaders, I know Jean-Louis was there at the time, we were sat in a room one night deciding what it was going to be like. And we sat there in this leadership meeting. And the plan was this, to have a little room at the back of the church just there that would just have another Sunday school classroom about as big as this stage here upstairs with some steps from the bottom. So literally, you'd come into the church, you'd be in the room downstairs, you'd, you'd go up to this little room, and the plans were that. And we sat in a room one night, we were getting all excited about a little room that big. And all of a sudden, someone had a brainwave and said, hang on a sec, why don't we go a little bit bigger? Why don't we take this thing the full width and take a whole worship room upstairs? And the question was, where are we going to get the money from? We had a lack of money. So in our minds, we didn't think we could do it. But that night, we stepped out in faith. And from that night on, within a year's time, we had the money to do it. You see, you can have a lack of money and you can't achieve something. You can have a lack of unity and you can't achieve something. But if you go for it and you believe God and you begin to reapply the unity, you'll have a bigger vision in your life. Ephesians 4.3, Paul says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Number two today is this. Not only should we rediscover the power of unity in order to grow and be successful, but we need to rediscover the power of prayer. The power of prayer. He says this, Philippians 4, verse 6 to 7, do not be anxious about anything. Did you get that, church? Anything. Not certain types of things at different levels. He says, Paul says, there's nothing that you've got to get worried about. Wow. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Wow. Church, I said to you the other week, we've got to get together and pray more. Paul is saying here, learn from me. Learn that actually if you, if you get rid of prayer and you don't pray, you're going to get we- uh, worries and fears in your life. In fact, things are going to start to overwhelm you. You're not going to get the peace that surpasses all understanding to guard your hearts and minds. You are going to find that stuff overwhelms you. Church, when I said the other week, we've got to get together and pray corporately, can I just say something? We've got to learn, as he said in Philippians 4, we've got to put into practice what he's saying. He says, don't ditch prayer. Don't lose prayer. You think you ain't got the time to pray. You get tired when you pray. You think there's no point in praying because I've prayed before and nothing happened. He says, don't get rid of it. Don't lose this. Put into practice what I'm telling you. You've got to keep praying. There is power in prayer. Church, if you, if you individually in your life have given up on your prayer life, I want to just encourage you, 2018, pick it up again. Pick it up again. Pick it up the petitions to God, the prayers to God that you've prayed before. Some of us, do you know what we think? We think if we pick it up again and pray again, that actually if we pray, God He's not really going to answer them. He didn't answer them before. I really believe he's looking for us to get on our knees again and persist in prayer. Pray again. You see, anxiety is our natural response to situations. When stuff goes wrong, you get worried. 
When things in your, your finances, stuff goes wrong in your life, you worry. So anxiety kicks in. Fear is very different to anxiety. You know, fear is when you've got a car driving towards you at 50 mile an hour. You're scared and you can't move. Anxiety is something that oppresses you daily. It's a subtle oppression. And I just want to say to you today that prayer, he says there's a power in prayer that will remove that. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ. Wow. There is a power in prayer. Paul says every situation, every situ- listen to this, every situation has the eligibility for prayer. Wow. Every, everything that you go through in life, Paul says there's not one thing that doesn't have the eligibility for prayer. I love that. You know, the other day I was, I was writing this sermon and I was putting together what I was going to be bringing today. And I was at home working and then Emma said, I've got someone coming over. You're going to have to go out of the house. I get kicked out quite often. You know, things are okay. There's no disunity, don't worry. She said, you need to leave. When she says, I need to leave, I've got to leave. You understand, men? When she says leave, you've got to go. So I thought, I've got to get myself, make myself scarce. And so I thought, where can I go? So I'm I, I, near to the house because I, I just want to carry on what I'm doing. So I go around the corner to, to the hotel, this nice luxury hotel. I thought, I'll go in there. They've got free Wi-Fi. I'll sit there and, and I'll get myself a drink and I'm going to continue doing what I'm doing. So I sit, I go around to this place and this man says, so you can sit in this little lounge over here. It was really nice. And I thought, well, actually, I might come here every day. So I sat in this lounge to continue working. And so I, I had my headphones with me because I thought there were a few people talking in this room. So I thought, I'll put a headphone and I'll listen to some nice music while I'm just preparing what I'm putting together. And, I, and, and right, I sat down with my laptop. And at this point, I was on this section of rediscovering the power of prayer. So I was looking at this particular scripture about being anxious about anything in every situation. I'm sat there. There's a few people talking to my right. And then on the left, there was these uh, two women talking between themselves and so I could hear what they were saying I was being a bit nosy but I could hear what they were saying I'm not like that normally but you know you know when something sounds really interesting so I'll pretend I'm listening to my earphones but I'm not nosy at all and so I was I sat there in this in this chair and I was working away and in my ear I hear these two women talking one of them says to the other lady I've got no hope Because today I've been told I have cancer. She said, I've lost hope. They've said this to me today. I've been to the hospital. They've said X, Y, Z. And there's no hope. And so I've just got to learn to live with it. And then the friend was offering every bit of advice she could. You know, it's hard, isn't it? When someone tells you something like that, whether you're a Christian or not, it's hard to respond to that. And uh, so this other lady was giving her all the advice she could. And I'm sat there. And while I was sat there and I was writing this, I was just reading, do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And I kept looking at that and the Holy Spirit spoke to me. Do you know the Holy Spirit speaks? He spoke to me and said this to me. He said this, Phil, stop what you're doing and tell that lady right now. There's hope. Tell that lady there is hope and pray for her. I was sat there working. And I thought I don't want to do that because these these women look bigger than me. 
They were, yeah. I think they could have had me, had me, man. And I looked at them and, they, and I thought, I do not want to interrupt on their conversation. You know, British people, if you interrupt on their conversation, they don't like it. And so I, I thought, I can't do this. Lord, I'm sat there and I thought, the easiest thing is just continue preparing the message. Forget about that. Some people, you just don't interrupt them. You don't pray for them. But every time I stopped and I looked back at the passage, the Lord said, go over and tell her there's hope. I'm telling you something, church. It's scary to do this kind of stuff. I don't make it as though it's easy. But I'm going to tell you something. You've got to obey Jesus. You have to obey him. I've learned that in my life. And now I've started to not care what people think. But it's really difficult. So I get up from my chair. I'm sat in this chair. And I look at them and I'm thinking, this is a serious conversation. And they're getting towards the end. And she says, well, I best get back now. And my heart's beating. And I'm thinking, should I say something? Or just let them go and then it'll, it'll be fine. I'll just crack on with what I'm doing. The Holy Spirit said, get up now. I got up. I thought, before, can I just encourage you? If you're thinking about doing something for Jesus, stop listening to those voices and just get up. Ignore them. Do it. I got up. I thought, I've got no idea what I'm going to say. And I walked across to them. Both of them looked at me like this. <laughs> thought, what is he doing? And I walked across. It was the, the hardest walk I've ever walked. And I looked at them both. And, and I said, I'm really sorry to interrupt you. And they just went, yes. I said, I'm, I'm so sorry to interrupt you, but I, I couldn't over help overhearing your conversation. No, I'm not nosy, but I couldn't over help hearing what you were just talking about. And, and I heard that you said that you were suffering with cancer and you've just found this out. And you, you said this, this line, you said, there's no hope. She said, yeah. I said, well, I'm, I'm a Christian. I said, I'm a Christian and I believe in Jesus Christ. And I said, you won't know this. I said, but I have never been in this room ever before in my life. I've never been in this particular spot in that hotel. I've never even been with my laptop to that hotel ever to do anything like I was doing that day. I said, I live around the corner. I said, but I've just come here because my wife told me to leave. I think she was a bit worried. She said, yes. I said, and so I came here and I said, you, you won't realize this, but on my laptop just there, I'm now working on a message I'm about to preach on Sunday in our church. I'm a leader of a church and, and I'm, I'm going to preach this message on Sunday. I said, but the very section that I'm on at the moment is in Philippians 4 and it says this, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, present your requests to God and I said, and then it says that the result of that will be a peace that surpasses all understanding that guards your heart and your mind. She looked at me and she said, what do you mean? I said, I've come to tell you something. There's hope. Because it gives no, it doesn't rule anything out. There's nothing, there's no situation in life that you can't talk to Jesus Christ about. I said, can I pray for you? I said, that's all I want to do. Can I pray for you? I said, you tell me one thing, and she, she reeled off a few things. Can I just say this, that when I had this conversation with her, the amount of things that opened up, of connections of people I know, in fact, the lady she was speaking to says, where is your church? I told her, then she said to me, I was there about 10 years ago for a wedding. I've been in there. It all began to come out, and all this began to grow. I said to her, can I pray? She said, I'd love you to pray. I got on my knees. 
There was a group of people sat having their dinner in the corner. My laptop sat there. I thought someone could steal it in a minute, but who cares? And I got on my knees. And I looked at the table. They were sat there with two glasses of wine. And I just sat there and looked at them. And I knelt and I just said, I want to pray. Because I know something, church. If someone had cancer in my family, I'd want someone to pray for me. Whether I believed or not. And I looked at her and I said, let me pray. I didn't even offer to take a hand. I thought, I'm not pushing anything here. I'm just going to pray. I said, in the name of Jesus now, I pray for your body that this lump will go. And I spoke to that body and then I just prayed the peace of God to come into that room. Then I started to prophesy. The moment I prayed, prophecy began to flow. I prophesied over her and I prophesied over the, the lady next to her talking to her. They both, afterwards they said, that was amazing. That's amazing. Do you know, the first thing that they said was, where's the church? Where's the church? It's amazing how people want to know your GPS coordinates once you've prayed. And once they've had an encounter with God, and God touches them. Before, oh yeah, that church. Now, where's the GPS coordinates for your church? Where are you on Google Maps? People are hungry. She looked at me, and do you know what she said? She stood up, she says, that was amazing. She says, thank you so much. She gave me a business card. She shared a card with me. She said, take this. I said, email me, get in touch, let me know how things are going. She said, and as she walked out, she goes, thank you so much, Phil. Can I just say this to you? 30 minutes before, I didn't know the woman. Now she's thanking me on the way out. I want to just tell you, there's nothing, nothing that God eliminates from the list of being able to pray for. All your prayers, whatever it is today, there is hope in his name. Amen. Paul's saying, remember, prayer is your weapon in your prison. Don't let your prison kill the desire for your petition. Don't let your prison kill the desire for you petitioning to God and praying to him. Romans 12, verse 11 to 12. Paul says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. We've got to be patient in tribulation, says the New King James Version. Continuing steadfastly in prayer. Can I just say that when you pray, you feel like giving up sometimes, don't you? Fear overwhelms you that much you find it hard to keep praying. Just the other day, I'm not going to tell you the story, but I was praying on a building site next door to me for four builders. Seen healings take place. One, one man said to me, says, I've got a problem with my kidneys. He says, and, 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 and I've, since the 22nd of December, he says, I've had pain. He says, and I've been weeing blood since the 22nd of December. I prayed for him. Afterwards, I went and made him a coffee just to bless him. I made all of them a nice coffee. I took it out. I thought, it's not just about miracles. It's about making good coffee as well. So I made them a good coffee. Not Nescafe, good coffee. Sorry, Nescafe. I went outside, gave them all a coffee. In the time that I'd gone to make a coffee for these guys, and I came back, this guy walks up to me and says, I've just been to the portaloo and I've stopped weaning blood since the 22nd of December. Jesus. I said, it's Jesus. It's not the coffee. It's Jesus. I gave the gospel that day to all these, these scaffolders. This guy kept saying to me, it's amazing. I he says, I can't argue what you're saying. It's true. So do you know what he said to me? He says, I, I want to take you up to the top of the scaffolding to show you the top of this scaffolding. And I'm like, wow. But I, don't, I do not like heights. 
He says, come with me. And you know when there's a lot of builders, you've got to act cool. I mean, I was praying for them with authority. In the name of Jesus. Man, I was so scared when he said, follow me. Follow me. I thought, going up there, are you crazy? But I had to act cool. I've just been speaking to authority for legs to grow and all these man. Now he's saying, follow me, come on. And I'm like, oh man. I get to these ladders, this thing, the height of it. So I climb up. I was not too bad. The problem was, is I get right to the top. I'm about to step onto the, the boards to get to the roof level. I am so scared of heights. No, I've not got a demon. I'm scared of heights. And I get onto this, um, the top of this roof. And as I get up there, the first thing he says to me is he's behind me. He says, don't worry, it's worse when you come down. I thought, mate, thanks for telling me that when I'm about to step on. I get onto the top. He's behind me. It was like having your dad behind you, watching you. I get onto the top, walking around with him. I, you know when you're really not interested in listening to them because you're just thinking about going back down? All the way around, he's talking about, he's saying, look, we're going to do this, X, Y, Z. And I'm thinking, I don't care what you're talking about, mate. I do not care. I just want to get on the floor. At the end, he says, come on, let's go back. My heart was going 50 to the dozen. We walked back around. I'm thinking, Emma didn't know where I was at this stage. And I thought, if she comes back, she'll wonder, what am I doing up there? And I get around to the top, and he says, I'll go down first, and, then, and, and, and I'll be there behind you. And he said, so just, he goes, this is what you've got to do. He says, the secret to doing this, he says, is to get on the ladder, but don't look down. He said, turn around, grab hold of that bit, and put your leg on. And he says, and go down, and never look down, just keep looking up. And I went down, and I realized something. It works. Church, it works. The fear went. I'll tell you something I learned that day is this. That when you pray to God, you've got to keep looking up. You see what the problem is, is when you pray in fear and anxiety, you look down. You look at the problem. You look at the issues. And Jesus wants to tell you today, look up. You see, you can go, be going down towards praying for your problem while you're looking up to Jesus. You see, I was going in one direction, but looking in the other. Wow. I want to tell you today, church, look up. Do you know in Acts chapter 16, when Paul plants that church in Philippi, before that, when they're in prison, there's something takes place. You've, I'm not going to go into the details of the story, but you know as well as I do. When they're in the prison, and the, him and Silas are next to each other, and they're in that prison, and they're locked up in prison, what do they do? They pray and worship. And then, do you know what it says is this? It says that when they pray and worship, something happens. Because it says the foundations of the, the prison began to shake. So there was a shaking, an earthquake takes place. Then the prison doors open. I've got some news for you today. If you've been praying for things for a long time, and you've not seen things happen, I want to tell you something today, church, that do you know that when you pray, foundations shake before you see the thing happen? Sometimes the foundations shake in, in the things you're praying for before the doors open. But some of us are saying, no, I want instant doors to open. I want to just tell you today, the power of prayer needs to come back into your life because you pray again, you'll start to shake the foundations. Hallelujah. I've put here the secret to overcoming your situation is found in the secret place with God. 
Amen. Finally, I'm going to be very quick to finish. It's rediscovering the power of contentment. Paul finishes off by talking about being content. Paul says, I've learned the secret of being content in every situation. So he's not just talking about praise, saying, you have got to be content with what you have in life. Can I just say, the world teaches, the more you have, the greater you'll be. So the the more stuff you get, the better you're going to be. But it's not true, it's a lie. You see, when someone offered me Bitcoin and said, you can have all this, they think that your problems are going to be solved. Let me tell you, Bitcoin is not the answer to life. Stuff is not the answer. You can have as much as you want. It will never give you the answer. But Paul says, I've learned the secret of being content. Wow, what a powerful secret that is. He says, I know this, what it is to be in need, what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry. And then verse 13, he says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Can I just say that sometimes we have people around us in our lives that we think are better than us because they've got more than us. When we first got married, we met on our honeymoon, we met some people, some friends of ours. We went away. And you're supposed to be on your own for two weeks. We met, a, we met a couple, and I enjoyed being around with them as well. It was great. Emma says, we're supposed to be on our own. I, I just like friends. She said, you've made friends already. We're supposed to be on our honeymoon, Phil. We, made, we met friends with this couple, and we got to know them. We got back to England. They're from London. And they said, when we get back, we want you to come to our house in London. So we went. Oh, I'll never forget this. We drove down. They said, they gave us the address. We drive down to South London. To meet this, this, this couple. And we pull up at these gates. This place was like a mansion. We arrive. This was in, in its, this whole estate. Where they had a private gate access to get to the estate. We pull in. We didn't know how to get in. We press the button. He comes on the mic. He says, hi Phil. Just hang on a sec. I'll just open the gates. The gates opened. It was like the gates of heaven. They opened up. We drive in, in our little tiny car we had at the time, and I'm thinking, oh my word, what are we doing? We're so poor. We're not meant to be here. This is not us. But we acted cool. We drove in, we got our cases out. I was more embarrassed about the state of our cases. And Oh no. We, we walk in and we, we, we arrive there. This house was beautiful. She said, what, we, we're making steak tonight for dinner. And man, did they make a good steak. Everything, you know when everything's just perfect. It's like a showroom. We walked into this house. She said, sit in the lounge. And I looked at the dining table. In the middle of the dining table, she had this this contraption that was like a flame. A real flame burning in the middle. I thought, wow. We just got our new house. We didn't have a dining room. She had this flamethrower in the middle of a dining table. Making me a steak. The telly was about five times the size of what we owned. I thought, wow. So we acted like, you know, when you act as though you've got that, but you haven't. <laughs> when did you get the TV? Yeah, nice TV. Yeah, I've had kind of steak like this before. It's nice, isn't it? You're thinking, I, I, no, I've never had steak like this before. <laughs> but I'm just going to act cool. And so I carried on. We had an amazing time amazing time. They looked after us so well. Anyway, we came home. We were home. We got back to our house. We just bought this new house. We got married. It's a two up, two down. You could not swing a cat, literally swing a cat around. Not that I would swing a cat. You couldn't swing a cat in the kitchen. 
You couldn't. It was tiny. And we decided to decorate. We, we, we got enough money just to decorate the kitchen. So one day I was up the ladder painting the kitchen. Emma remembers this. And I was up there. It was about two, three months after we'd done this visit. And all of a sudden the phone rings. And it's him, the man from London, the rich man. And he rings me up. And he says, on the phone he says, Phil, we've got a free weekend next weekend. We wondered whether we could come to you. You know when you just feel like being ill, just for a weekend? I w- and do you know when I got the phone, she passed me the phone. I was up the ladder doing the ceiling with paint all over me. Our lounge had no radiator on. It was freezing. The state of the house looked awful. The kitchen was the only thing I was proud of, and I was halfway through doing it. Emma says, and I said, I, I need to check the diary. I put the phone down. I says, Emma, they want to come. They want to come. They want to come here. So I, res- I said, I'll phone you back in a minute. I phoned them back. I, I made an excuse up. I didn't lie. I just managed to occupy my diary with another thing, I think. I, I cannot have them come in this house. I was so embarrassed. I'm telling you something, church, we're like this. We look at people and we, we are not content with what we have. And we see people because they've got stuff that they're better than us. Let me tell you they're not. It's just stuff. Hebrews 15.5, Paul says, the writer says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you or forsake you. Wow, what a promise. In other words, he says, it's not about what you've got. It's about the fact I'm with you all the time. If the worship team could just come back, that would be great. Effectively, the writer of Hebrews is saying this. Don't chase after what will eventually leave you. Chase after who will never leave you. Don't chase after what will eventually leave you. Because you ain't taking it to, to heaven. Chase after who will never leave you. That's what you've got to chase, the, pri- the prize that we have. 1 Timothy 6.6 6 says, godliness with contentment is what? Great gain. When you have godliness and contentment, there is greater things. Great gain. Hallelujah. Come on then, let's just stand. Thank you for listening and we trust that the word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.